Please give your full attention once more. This is the word of our God. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. Pastor Tom, come up. Good morning, everybody. It's a, a real blessing to be with you this morning. And um, it was 25 years ago, actually, that I came to this church. And um, it is always such a blessing to be in the church because the church is the people of God. And we as missionaries are sent out from the church. And we could not do what we do unless we were sent out by the church, loved by the church, cared for by the church, supported by the church. And so um, even though Belgium is a uh, nice place to visit, uh, the church is very small there, but the church is there. And as you worship Christ the Savior, we too are worshiping Christ the Savior there. And so, uh, yeah, Christ is alive and well and his church is growing, even in places like Belgium. Um, so with this, let me just turn to the word of God. We're going to uh, uh, go to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 2. And the title of today's message is Who's Coming for Dinner? Um, and I'm uh, focusing uh, on verses 13 through 17. But I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 to give us context. So hear the word of the Lord. 
And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went before them all, so that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming with him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Levi, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with sinners, sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Um, the motivation for this particular sermon and text that I chose actually comes from an article, a table talk, table talk article that was written by Paul Levy, who is a pastor of an IPC church, the International Presbyterian Church, a denomination that we work with in London called IPC Ealing. And uh, they asked him to write an article in table talk and it is called Three Questions for Evangelism. And the article was written in 2021, and this is what Paul says in the article. Why keep sowing, planting the gospel seed? We're actually aware that God gives the increase. It is his work, and we confidently rest in Jesus' promise that he will build his church. I do think, however, that times like this in church life should turn us outward to be thinking 
how we can reach out. God has placed us where we are, and he is in the different circumstances that we face and working in the lives of the people that we know. If you're anything like me, you can be very shy in taking the relationship further in speaking about the gospel. But I found it helpful recently to think of three questions that I hope you might be able to use in praying for and speaking with your friends. And these are the three questions. Would you like to come for dinner? Would you like to come to church? And would you like to read the Bible? And this brings us to our text for today, Mark 2, verses 13 through 17, entitled, Guess Who is Coming for Dinner? Now, Mark's gospel is an intensely practical gospel. You know, Mark moves very quickly uh, through the gospel. It is not so much biographically or chronologically organized, but is organized around these theological themes. And this becomes quite apparent when you start reading the Gospel of Mark, because Mark begins his Gospel by highlighting the Galilean ministry of Jesus. And in chapter 2, you come across five conflicts that Jesus has with the scribes, the Pharisees. And the first conflict was introduced really by a question. Uh, verses 6 and 7. Now the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, who is this fellow? Why does he talk like this? He's blaspheming. And here is the question, who can forgive sins but God alone? Now the significance of the second conflict is one is again brought into the open by a question. The Pharisees asked Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? In other words, the key question today is not who can forgive sins, but who needs forgiveness of sin. And to deal with this question, I want to focus on Jesus and Levi, Jesus and Levi's friends, and Jesus and Levi's opponents. Now, first of all, Jesus and Levi, who needs forgiveness of sin? Now, not very much is known about Levi. Uh, you know, studies show that Levi is Matthew, the, the, the author of the Gospel of Matthew, and Levi is kind of a tribal name. But we know from verse 14, his name, his occupation, and of his interaction with Jesus. And on the surface, Levi's world may seem pretty average, normal. But actually, nothing could be further from the truth. So let me try to explain and paint a picture of what his world may have looked like. Now, first of all, Levi was Jewish. He was a Jewish tax collector in the service of Herod and in the service of Rome. And as a tax collector, he was in charge of charging customs because he occupied a tax booth on a major international road that went from Damascus through Capernaum 
into Galilee where this incident takes place. Now, tax collectors were, as I said, expected to collect taxes, but many of the tax collectors abused their system and overcharged people and pocketed a lot of money for themselves and actually became fairly wealthy because of this. And so they were hated for cheating, first of all. They were hated for their support of Rome because they had turned their back on Jewish life and Jewish culture. And they were actually classed among the vilest of men. In some Jewish literature, they are listed with murderers and robbers. And when you read through the Gospels, you know, tax collectors are often mentioned in the same breath with prostitutes and sinners. And sure, Levi's profession had made him wealthy, but he was a complete outcast, excommunicated from the synagogue, a disgrace to his family. He could not participate in Jewish life. And I'm sure Levi's private world must have felt miserable at times as he contemplated his decisions, his circumstances. But the decision that had caused him now to become a very wealthy man, on the one hand and an outcast, is now giving him the opportunity to meet and follow Jesus. Now, by the time this incident takes place and Jesus actually speaks to Levi, Levi, in all likelihood, is well aware of who Jesus is and the kind of people he associated with. It is very likely, actually, that he had seen Jesus as well. Uh, Everyone who traveled through the city of Capernaum eventually had to pass by his tax collector's booth, and Jesus and his disciples traveled to Capernaum quite often. You know, Capernaum is the northern part of Israel, where this early Galilean ministry takes place. It is quite north of Judea, Jerusalem. And uh, Nazareth, where Jesus was born, was about 20 miles from Galilee. And so one day, Levi looks out of his tax booth, and he sees this large crowd coming towards him. And uh, because there were many who followed him, it says here, But you get a much greater sense uh, of the size of this crowd when you read the account according to Matthew himself. So Matthew 23, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 through 25 reads like this. And he went through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease, every affliction among the people. And so his fame spread. That's the word Matthew uses. His fame spread throughout all of Syria, neighboring Israel. And they brought, all, they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those are having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Can you imagine? I mean, no, no wonder he became famous extremely quickly. And then it, Matthew says, and great crowds, plural, 
followed him. From Galilee, from the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan, these crowds came. So when he talks about this crowd coming to him, he is talking about a massive amount of people. Jesus very quickly had become very famous because of what he did, healing all these people. And so, you know, so Levi says, oh, that, that has to be Jesus. Only Jesus attracts a crowd like this. And so all of a sudden, attention is away from his booth and is now focused on Jesus and the crowd. And can you imagine what he might be thinking? Boy, I wish I could meet this man, Jesus. He's not like the other Pharisees. He teaches with authority and power. He heals a leper. He heals a paralytic. He even claims to forgive sins. But I am a tax collector, an outcast, an anti-Jew, and he's an important teacher. He would never look at me nor ever talk to me. And then, of course, the crowd is right there. And Jesus is now within reach. And then suddenly he hears his name. Levi, follow me. Can you imagine? Stunned and surprised he must have been. Not only is Jesus calling him by his name, which is very significant, but he is actually calling him to become his follower. The command to follow me is much more than just walking after somebody. It has the strong implication of to imitate or to become like-minded. As Paul often says, imitate me, imitate God. And this kind of following was simply impossible without a radical change from within. A change impossible without faith and repentance. I mean, Jesus had made this very clear from the very outset when he begins his ministry. And Mark records it in chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. After John was put in prison, he went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, the brother, his brother, Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said, come and follow me. Jesus said, repent and believe. Come and follow me. And so Jesus had met Levi in Levi's world in order to explain and to show why he had come. Like the paralytic in the previous story, Jesus called Levi by name to express and to bring his mercy. And in hearing so, Levi understood through the power of the Holy Spirit he was a sinner in need of forgiveness. And he actually got up having repented and believed to follow Jesus. And that day he walked away from his tax collector's booth. He said goodbye to Rome 
to inherit to his wealth to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Now, maybe some of you are in the same situation Levi was in. I don't know. And you may be caught in a cycle of sin that you think is, that, that completely disqualifies you from the mercy of God, from the grace of God, which the pastor talked about this morning. But, you know, when you read the Gospels, Jesus hangs out with prostitutes, adulterers, thieves, beggars, murderers. You know, he hangs out with all kinds of sinful people. And, uh, and so Levi understood what, what Jesus had said to the disciples after talking to the rich young ruler recorded in Mark chapter 10. What is impossible with man is possible with God. For with God, all things are possible. So if this is where you find yourself in, then let Levi be your object lesson. On the one hand, in Levi, we see sin defined and all its power over him. But on the other hand, we meet Jesus who's able to overcome sin's power. He can break the dominion of sin, even though the presence of sin remains. He can break the dominion of it. And so you need to hear this invitation to follow him in repentance and faith. Jesus said, I've not come to call the healthy. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus and Levi, who needs forgiveness of sin? Well, we all do, don't we? even for those of us who've been in the faith for a long time. We continue to, to wrestle with the presence of sin in our lives. We continue to wrestle between that old man and that new man. And hear the words of Jesus, who said, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble of heart. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, how are we following now? Which brings us to the second point. 1 Peter 2, verse 21 says this. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So this brings us to the second point, Jesus and Levi's friends. How do we follow? So while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now Jesus had said, very early on, behold, the kingdom of God is near. But how does the kingdom of God draw near? Well, only if sinners repent and believe the good news. And how are sinners confronted with the good news? Only when followers of Jesus go out and seek them out. 
And this is precisely what Levi does. And how does he do it? Very simply, he reaches out to his friends, his fellow tax collectors and sinners, by way of a party. And the invitation reads, guess who's coming for dinner? Like Levi, his friends were social outcasts, inferiors to the Pharisees. Jesus could not reach those people in the synagogue. And so Levi gives a great banquet, a great party to introduce them to Jesus. And I think right upon, you know, upon his conversion, Levi immediately understood several kingdom principles. And the first kingdom principles he understood and put into action is mixing with non-believers is essential to God's redemptive efforts. I mean, Jesus reminds the church of this when he says in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount that we as the people of God should be salt and light. Now, what is going to make salt effective? Well, if you have your dinner plate in front of you, and you want it to taste better, it's not going to taste better just by looking at the salt. You're going to have to take the salt shaker and you have to kind of pour it over your food. The point is, salt has to touch something in order for it to be effective. So Jesus is saying to the people of God, go touch something. Go touch the world around you with the gospel. The same is true for light. If you are in the dark and you want to find what you're looking for, you're not going to find it unless you turn on the light. It's very simple. Jesus is telling the church, go turn on your light. Let your light shine in this broken world. And so one very important expression of following Jesus is to share your Jesus with your unbelieving friends. And hospitality is just a very simple way to do it. You can expose your unbelieving friends to Jesus and his gospel, to share what you have with others. Would you like to come for dinner? It's a very simple question. Would you like to share what I have? Would you like to meet my family? This is precisely what Levi did. Now, another principle that Levi understood immediately, which is kind of a hard principle, at least for me, maybe for you as well, is this one, is that Jesus alone can save our unbelieving friends or can save sinners from judgment. Now, I remember when I became a Christian as a junior at the university through the ministry of university, which was a very kind of sudden conversion, I became immediately aware of all those people in Belgium that were lost. And I, 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 I you know, I, I, I couldn't figure out how to help them, uh, but I knew they were lost. And uh, it's kind of hard to think about that, you know, that eternal judgment is coming. And that some of, you know, I'm still the only person in my family that is a Christian. None of my siblings, none of my parents, none of my uncles, none of my aunts. 
And I keep wrestling with this kingdom principle. And, and I know it's difficult to contemplate, but, and I know hell is an unpopular concept today, but without Jesus, your unbelieving friends, your unbelieving family members are forever lost. C.S. Lewis said it this way. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Doesn't that describe most of your unbelieving friends? I mean, Jesus warned people about eternal judgment all the time. And so, you know, we need to be willing to go out there and be courageous in sharing ourselves with others who don't know Christ. But Levi cared so much that he came up with this basic strategy and plan. And you really get a much better feel for this when you read Luke's account, where it says he held a great banquet, an expensive banquet, Luke 5.29. And here's the thing you have to understand about, about banquets and dinners in the Old Testament. They were kind of biblical pictures of intimacy with the Lord, of a, of a saving relationship with the Lord. So Isaiah 25 and 55 say it this way. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, of, a feast of well-aged wine, of, of rich full, food full of marrow, of aged wine. Well, we find an end is very famous passage to some of us at least Isaiah 55 1 come everyone who is thirsty come to the waters and he who has no money come buy and eat buy wine and milk without money and without price and then Jesus himself picks up on this theme in Matthew 22 when he talks about the parable of the wedding feast verse 4 tell those who have been invited see I have prepared my dinner my banquet Everything has been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come. And so this brings me to the second question that Paul Levy asked in his article. Would you like, you know, would you like to come to church? That's the second question. So from hospitality, dinner at your house, to hospitality and dinner at the church. This table here is a picture of this great banquet. The Bible describes the church as the household of God. And the household of God comes to worship is a foretaste of the great banquet Jesus is describing in Matthew 24. And Isaiah prophesied about in 25 and 55. So you've got to seize the opportunity to rub shoulders with your non-Christian friends if you're going to reach anybody. And many opportunities are right there in front of you. Simple invite your friends and acquaintances to your home for dinner and to the church for worship. It's not hard to do, is it? So how are you following? God wants our ordinary lives to bless others. And by ordinary, I do not mean mediocre. The story of our ordinary lives are much more powerful then you might be willing to admit and realize why. Because we are in Christ. 
We are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Your story, which is part of God's story, your personal and professional story, which is part of God's story, is a powerful story to tell. People may want to ask you, what makes you different? And you may say, well, let me tell you what makes you different. Let me share you what God has done in my life. Now, in closing, we notice a third party present at Levi's house, and it's the Pharisees. And they think Jesus and his disciples are doing outreach all the wrong way. Eating with sinners and tax collectors. You must be joking. So when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now the word sinner in our text refers to a class of people that were regarded by the religious elite as inferior because they did not follow the Pharisaic interpretation of God's holy law, the Torah. By eating with sinners and tax collectors, they would engage in such intimate fellowship that would be unacceptable to them because it would disqualify them from religious worship. They would be ceremonially unclean. And so Jesus now responds now in two ways. There's a two-part response to Jesus to make sure the Pharisees get the point. When he says, first with a common Jewish proverb, he responds with a common Jewish proverb, it is not the healthy who need a sick, a doctor, but the sick. And he's trying to get their attention by being very, very logical. And he wants to get this critical point across. He says, look, only when you realize you are sick do you seek out a physician. And the physician in turn spends time with the people to help them get better. But how can the physician help the sick if he is not willing to get close to the sick? And how can the sick get better if they are unwilling to seek out a physician? I mean, ultimately, what is the purpose of a physician? Is it not to heal the sick? But since you consider yourself healthy, you do not need a physician. And this is why, second, Jesus adds to this Proverbs the spiritual significance of it by driving home now his messianic mission when he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And Luke says, unto repentance. He wants to make sure that there is only one way you can stand before God justified. And it is not the way of the Pharisees who did not deny faith as an essential, but believed in faith plus. Faith plus their interpretation of the Torah. Faith plus certain works. Faith plus some of these rituals. And actually they believed as the Apostle Paul once did, didn't he? Who said in Philippians chapter 3, 
verse uh, 6, as he talks about his resume, pre-conversion, uh, as to righteousness under the law, blameless or faultless. But there is only one who is blameless. There is only one who is faultless. There is only one who is perfect with regard to the law, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the great physician. This story makes absolutely clear that the invitation by Jesus for healing and restoration is full and free. It is for those who recognize they have no righteousness of their own. This invitation does not make sense to the self-righteous, such as the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Now, this begs the question, whose word are you going to believe? Whose voice are you going to listen to? Levi chose to listen to the voice of Jesus instead of the Pharisees. Now, there are many voices in our, in our world today, in our culture today, that are competing for your attention, that are competing for your loyalty, just as they were in Levi's day. Our first parents were deceived by the voice of the usurper as they ignored the voice of their creator. And the usurper's voice continue to deceive many and it comes to us in a variety of ways. And he, he, he wants the people of God to listen to his voice instead of the voice of our Savior Jesus in his word. And it comes to now via your phone, via the internet, via the radio, via your TV. And they have only one goal, which is to change your thinking. These voices are after your affections. They're after your heart. But what is the voice we need to hear what is the voice we need to seek what is the voice we need to submit ourselves to Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 warns the church today if you hear his voice the voice of Jesus the Christ the Messiah the great physician do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the testing of, of, of your life in the wilderness Whose voice are you going to listen to? Whose words are you going to believe? And so this brings us to Paul's last question and table talk. Would you like to read the Bible? Would you like to listen to the voice of God? And so three simple questions. Would you like to come for dinner? Would you like to come to church? And would you like to read or listen to the Bible, the voice of God. Now let me conclude with a, with a story. It's a story that comes from a book that was written by Maria Chapion uh, of the early work that went on after the Soviet Union fell and people were allowed to bring the gospel into Eastern Europe. And this is about an evangelist, his name is Jakob, who befriends an elderly man called Zimmerman. 
And this is their story as it is written in the book. As soon as Jacob began to talk, Zimmerman just stopped him. He says, please don't talk to me about Jesus. I don't believe that Jesus is real. And Jacob just asked him, well, why don't you tell me why you believe that? And so he explained. You see these church ministers back there with their clerical robes and their big crosses on their chest. He says, I really know what they are on the inside. I know their deceit, their power, their lust for power, and the violence with which they have lived. They preach about Christ, but they're not Christ-like at all. So don't talk to me about this Jesus of yours. And so Jacob, being pretty quick in his thinking, replied this way. Says, Zimmerman, just consider this. What if I broke into your home, I stole your coat and your boots, and wearing them, robbed the bank? What if the police chased me, but they really couldn't catch me, but later would come to, to your house to confront you about the crime? What would you say? Well, Zimmerman said, I would deny it. I didn't do it. Ah, said Jacob, but Zimmerman, they recognized your coat. They recognized your boots. And they were absolutely convinced it was you who did it. And so Zimmerman understood right away what he was driving at and huffed and puffed away and said, leave me alone. Days went by, weeks went by, months went by, a year and a half went by. And Jacob kept coming and living Christ before Zimmerman. And finally, one day, Zimmerman said to him, Jacob, how do I come to know this Jesus that you proclaim, this Jesus that you live out before me? And Jacob gave him a very simple answer. Turn your life over to Jesus. Repent and believe the good news and commit yourself to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so Zimmerman knelt right there before Jacob. And when he got up from his knees, he gave him a huge big hug. And this is what he said. You wear the robe of Christ very, very well. You see, God has designed us. He's designed you and me to be just who you are on purpose and for his purpose. Does your faith in Christ meaningfully and missionally interact with the people around you? In other words, do you wear the robe of Christ very well? In your job, in your high school, in your university, in your neighborhood. Would you like to come for dinner? Let me introduce you to my family. Would you like to come to church? Let me introduce you to God's people. And would you like to read the Bible? Let me introduce you to the voice of God. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word, your eternal world, word. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who has made, made us alive to Christ and his word. And I do pray, O oh Lord, that we would seek to feed upon it every day. That we would seek to define ourselves by the word. And that the power of the Holy Spirit would equip us, giving us a desire to love 
our Savior, Jesus, and to follow him and to be this witness that you've called us to be, even to love our enemies, as the Sermon on the Mount says. Lord, we, we struggle with unbelief. We struggle with our faith is small. But Father, I pray that you would help us to wear the, the robe of Christ very well right here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Lord, that we would be salt and light and that would, people would ask the question, what makes you different? Father, thank you for your church. Thank you that you rule over it, that you keep it, that you love us. And we do pray, Lord, that you will continue to strengthen us in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that you've given us in it. We thank you that you've not left us to grope around in the dark, that you've given us a sure word, Lord. And as even as we heard, increase our faith, Lord, to believe and trust what you tell us therein, Lord. <clears throat> thank you for the perfection of them given to us, and that we are sinners and rebels, that you sought and saved us, securing our sure redemption. Lord, continue to draw all of us near unto Christ in our walk day by day, even moment by moment, acknowledging our weakness and therefore our need to be cleansed again. Uh, Lord, we pray for your word as it goes out in the world. Lord, we pray for our missionaries and the work that you called them to and the work that you do through them. We pray that they would have that work would have its full effect, that you would bring your people in, Lord, and establish them as you do so once they come. We do pray that all the distractions and ob obstacles and temptations, all the things of this world would grow dim in, in light of the reality of your glory, and that we'd see more and more clearly your glory and the glory of Christ, our union with him. Lord, we pray, give us again faith to believe and live our lives out of that reality, no matter what challenges and deters and harass and comes up against us in this world. Lord, may this be our confession and may we be assured of the victory won by Christ for us. We trust in him for our very lives, even now and forever. And even this morning, dear Lord, as we approach the table, once again, we partake of the elements. May we revere and know him who has made us partakers of his kingdom by faith. We pray for the congregation of your people this morning as we encounter various struggles in this life. Lord, may we... Uh, fight to live in a way that matches the profession of our lips. Pray for those suffering, particularly, especially your hard things this morning, whether physical or otherwise. We ask that you would grant them relief and mercy and freedom. And if it's your will, dear Lord, heal, restore them. Yet whatever your perfect will is for all of us, Lord, draw us close unto you. We would abide our suffering well and that we would know that we have a perfect, loving, and gentle Lord who cares for us beyond all comprehension, and that you indeed are the God of the resurrection of the dead and the certainty that we will one day be made new. Lord, grant us to know the blessing of following and loving your will and your way in your law, Lord, and that we would be freed from, uh, that we have been freed from the bondage of sin and death and we've been free to begin to keep your ways in love and gratitude. 
Lord, may we live out of our newness in Christ and the life you've called us to and given us. Lord, we pray for your people, whatever hardships we might endure, that we would see you, our God and our King, that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are gracious to us, and that you love us with a perfect love. Lord, be merciful to this church. Provide for our physical needs. Strengthen us spiritually. Lord, help us to fix our eyes upon Christ and to know that you are our sure refuge. Keep us from growing satisfied or fearful. Those, those, those two poles that we are so easily fall into, strengthen us and conform us evermore to the image of our King, your Son. Use us, we pray, Lord, in our lives and our lips to indeed be salt in the world, to be light in the world, to show the love and grace that we've been shown, and indeed to invite people to come, to hear of your mercy and holiness, to hear the gospel and be confronted with Jesus, the only hope for life. We ask this all in his name. Amen.